Welcome back to the Informal Podcast, where I'm joined for this very special episode with my co-host, per huge Sam Lewis. Sam, how's your week going? Uh, you know, not too bad. We've been going back and forth on if we were going to record this week because there wasn't a ton going on. But luckily, we have the fallback, the long-promised voicemail episode is here. Yeah, we didn't have enough voicemails, unfortunately, to do a entire podcast. So what we're going to do is sort of a hybrid pod. We're going to talk a little bit for, you know, I don't know, 20 minutes or so, and then dive into some of these voicemails. Some of them are golden and excited to get to those. So, what, I mean, what are your thoughts going into this voicemail? Are you hopeful for this? Are you, what are you, what are you, what are you thinking? There, there are going to be some extremely high highs, and there's going to be some extremely low lows, <laughs> is what I'll say about it. I'm, I'm excited to talk about some of it, and I'm totally dreading some of the other ones, mostly the ones that came from this end of the podcast. So we'll see. We'll see how yeah, it goes. For that, for that reason alone, I'm excited to talk about <laughs> all of it. So, but first, we have some business to get to, and that business is soccer. Since soccer! Our last podcast was strictly a master's podcast from broadcast live from butler cabin we need to dive back into what happened last week and this week over across the pond so floor is yours let's start last week with tottenham beating manchester city in the champions league if i remember correctly to go to the semifinals. so you're all over it talk a little bit about that that the second leg of that tie see I, i guess you call it a tie when you play two games the two games together as a tie? I don't know. It doesn't make sense to me. The first game, Tottenham won 1-0 during the recording of one of these podcast episodes. If you're listening, you heard me talking about it. Um, and the second leg of that matchup was probably the best soccer game I've ever seen. It was incredible. I mean, I think you were watching it live maybe, or you saw it after the fact. I watched it record, recorded when I got home from work, and you just you texted me something about it. And when you text me about soccer, I know something ridiculous has happened. So walk me through your experience of it. Did you watch it live? Did you just see the highlights? So, no, I, I didn't watch it live. I didn't know it was even on or else I would have. But I was scrolling through Twitter, and I guess it was on, like, the moments or the discover, whatever, what's happening. Um, I went to, like, go search for something, and it popped up. You know, epic game between City and Tottenham. So it was already over at that point. I, I knew what the score was, so I went back and just watched the highlights of it. Of course, they do a great job with soccer highlights, by the way. Oh, they're I don't fantastic. Know what I, went. I think it was NBC Sports. But, yeah, on YouTube. I mean, it was, like, yeah, it was like six minutes long. You know, I felt like I got, you know, the whole the whole storyline of the game. But just the highlight plays, I mean, it looked like you know, it was just electric all the way through. It just really seemed like a really good game. Great plays, high scoring, which was beneficial for my viewing experience. <laughs> Just open. and and Tottenham didn't Georgia it, which is crazy. They kind of did though, because they lost the game. Like they lost, they lost four to three. Um, maybe should have been five to three. You know, we I guess we can talk about the end in a minute. But they lost the game, but they they lost the battle, but won the war, which is still weird. I'm getting more into soccer as this goes on, but it's still weird to me that they lost the game yet they still move on to the semifinals. So they yeah, kind of is- Georgia it. This is exactly what would have happened if the committee put Georgia in the playoff after blowing <laughs> that lead to Alabama this year. So how come? How did they get to? So they won on away goals. Is that right? Like I'm right. So it's so it's, I don't understand that. You play twice, right? You play home and you play away. The first game was that Tottenham won one to nil, one nil was at. Let me see if I can get this right. I believe. Let's, I'm, I'm looking at it here. Hold on a second. It was at Man City. So, okay. so Tottenham won one to nil, one nil. Got that away goal. That's huge, right? If it's nil nil, there's no away goals. Then it's just whoever scores the most goals in the second game. They won one nil away. Had the away goal in hand. They go. They come home. Hold on, wait. No, I've got this completely wrong. That's backwards. That's backwards. They won one nil okay. at home. Yeah, that didn't happen. That yeah, did no, not I'm, happen. Well, I'm looking at this on online, and Man City is listed first, and then Tottenham, which in America that means Man City <laughs> is the away team. Apparently not in Europe. Okay, so excuse me, I was confused. Tottenham won one nil at home, so City did not get any away goals. So they had zero away goals. Then 
City won four to three at home. Total goals, it's four to four, but City did not have any away goals. Therefore, Tottenham wins on away goals, which is the first tiebreaker. So the only way that, how is away goals the first tiebreaker? I don't know. It like, what, how did they arrive at like away goals? Could, it's like deciding goalie saves is the is the tiebreaker, you know, or I, fouls committed. I honestly have no idea. It, it, I don't know. The only I'm going to give you a guess, okay? I'm going to pull a guess completely out of nowhere and just throw it at you. So this is what I'm assuming it is based on no facts. I'm guessing that the soccer teams have a tendency, especially when they're away from home, to just like bunker in and play defense and not try to score and try to get nil-nil draws. So maybe they want to encourage teams to try to score, and that's that could be it. But I don't know. It doesn't really make sense. Well, no, I mean, I understand what you're saying there because I think one of the most frustrating things is whenever the World Cup comes around and you've got teams, you know, that have a certain, like, they can't, to move on, they just can't lose, right? And so you've got these teams just basically playing for a draw and it makes for very boring soccer, you know, to be honest with you. When you got both teams, you know, that absolutely have to win a game, the aggression just sort of takes over and um, that's sort of what you saw there with them going back and forth. So um, that makes sense, I guess. I, I think where you're coming from. Sure, sure. We'll just pretend like it's fact going forward. That That's the reason. But the, back to this game. The first 20 minutes of that game, were that's the most exciting soccer I've ever seen. So City comes out and scores immediately because that's what City does. Every time I've watched them play this year, they've come out and scored in the first five minutes, it feels like. So they score right away. You think, okay, they're going to just walk over Tottenham. They're going to put them away. They're going to advance. Then Tottenham comes back and scores immediately. And then Tottenham scores again, and then City scores again, and then City scores again, and it's 3-2 to two in, like, the first 25 minutes. It's unbelievable. I don't yeah. know. Like, I want, for, for those of you out there who don't watch soccer, my first instinct is to tell you to watch this game, but then I also don't want you to watch this game because it's going to give you a false sense of what soccer is actually like because it's never like that. It was unbelievable. I came home. I turned it on. And when there's two goals in the first 10 minutes, that's unbelievable to me. And then there's two more, and then another one, and then another one later. It's, it was crazy. It was absolutely crazy. Yeah, it was really great, especially, you know, the seven-minute highlight that I watched. It was basically all scoring. <laughs> Let me really, ask you really this. Cool. And the highlight packages on, on YouTube are incredible, by the way. That's, that's an aside. Did you see the goal that Tottenham scored to make it make this game four to three, but make the entire like make the the double header four to four. Did you see the the, the goal they scored to tie it and thus send them to whatever the semifinals? I mean, yeah, I saw. I don't remember it. So why don't remember what it? happened? Okay, so I'll, I'll, I'll remember it once you start talking. All right, City's crushing Tottenham like a grape, and it's they're up four to two. If the game ends four to two, City advance. Tottenham put in Fernando Lorente, I believe his name is. He's like eight feet tall but he can't move at all. So he's just getting worked in, in open field. He can't. He's playing no defense. He can't link up any passes with anybody. He just looks like a statue out there. Because, by the way, everyone on Tottenham is hurt. Harry Kane's hurt. Everybody's hurt. So this is like their third-string striker they put in. It's They've got a corner. Somehow they want a corner. I don't even remember how they want a corner. They want a corner, and he's like eight feet tall. So they kick it in there. He jumps up. He <laughs> scores, right? So it just looks like, okay, the eight-foot-tall guy scored on a corner. That happens. Like, he jumped up and hit it in with his head. Except he didn't hit it in with his head. He hit it in with his hip bone. And not only his hip bone, he kind of hit it in with his elbow, too, which is not legal. And I just didn't – does this jog in your memory any? Because it yes. was kind of a controversy. All right? Yeah. Everybody was mad because he kind of just buried <laughs> this with his arm, which is not allowed. Yes, I do remember this now. And I remember seeing that and thinking that's probably not allowed. But then they that's, allowed it. And, and they had review because it's the Champions League. And they reviewed it and they said, yep, that definitely hit his elbow and the goal still counts, which doesn't so, make any sense to me. Yeah, talking about reviews, let's, let's recap what happened at the very end of the game there, oh, which was goodness. crazy. Insane. Insane. So for those of you that didn't watch it, which is probably everyone, Raheem Sterling, Manchester City scores with like what thirty seconds left in extra time or something like that. Yeah, I think it. I think it was five minutes of extra time, and they were like nine minutes into extra time. Like they're supposed to have five, <laughs> and they were nine minutes in. The Saudis paid them off. It was. This is like whose line is it anyway? The clock doesn't matter. They just go until they decide to stop. And Tottenham have the ball. 
Christian Erickson, who's one of the best players in the league, has the ball on the outside of City's box. All he's got to do is kick it a million miles the other way, and time's going to run out. He tries to play this little back pass for whatever reason. I don't know. And Raheem Sterling ends up with the ball and scores. And Tottenham's going crazy, and they're advancing, and it's the announcers are losing their mind. And then all of a sudden, it just doesn't count. It didn't count. They took it off. I'm not sure why they took it off. I guess someone was offside by like six inches. I don't know. Tottenham tried so hard to Georgia it, and they managed not to. So congratulations to your adopted English Premier League team. Well, it took some crooked refs, but we did it. <laughs> so not only was Tottenham's final goal questionably crooked, City also scored a goal that got disallowed by crooked means. Is that what we're saying? What I'm saying is City's goal looked a lot more legitimate than <laughs> the huge guy just fist bumping it in the goal. It was like he just it punched was, it. It was punched like it in, in. It's like in volleyball. It was like the bump, and then they set it up, and then Lorente just spiked it home with his hand. That's basically <laughs> what happened. And they were like, oh, that was sick. Let's count that. That's great. Good. I'm glad Manchester City lost because they're the evil empire. They're the Saudis. They've got all the good players in the world. So good for them for taking an L on this one. So Tottenham plays who next? Tottenham plays Ajax next, who is a Dutch team who is like the fact that they're in the semifinals is like one of the, it's like when Butler went to the final four, I think like I actually used to be great in the nineties or the eighties or the fifties. I don't know. before, before I was born or cared about soccer, they used to be really good. Now they're good like for the Netherlands, but not good for the rest of the world. And they beat Real Madrid and then Juventus in back-to-back rounds, which is like a crazy upset. So Tottenham, if they can just beat this little Dutch team are going to be in the final, but they're hurt. And They're way that, hurt, way yeah, hurt. Yeah, that's an issue. And and this team's rolling kind of like when Leicester, right? When they won, they won it's, the uh, Premier League. I mean, yeah, it's similar to that. Do. Like, I think Ajax has like three or four like stud young guys who they developed who are like 19 or 20 who are like they're going to sell them all in the summer because that's what happens in soccer. You get a good player and you sell them to Real Madrid or Barcelona. But they got them right now and they're rolling. But I would I would imagine that Tottenham's going to win that that matchup there i would think I so well Who i imagine knows? georgia's going to win a lot of games and then they don't so they win a lot of games they just don't win the big ones yeah exactly <laughs> um so then today there is a big match a big match on the pitch Ooh, look at you big match on the pitch in england there was the yeah. manchester derby is that what it's called well yeah in england they call them derbies instead of rivalry games except you don't say derby, you say so Darby, Darby, which would make sense if you had an English accent, except that's what American people call it, too. And I, <laughs> None of this makes any sense to me, but I kind of love it. Yeah, City versus United today. So, and, yeah, the, and the way you describe this to me is that Manchester City, this was their last tough game. And if they lost, Liverpool was probably you know, going to win the Premier League. But if they uh, won... They're in the clear. So even if they didn't, if even if they didn't win, even if it was a draw, it would have put Liverpool ahead because City's only up by one point right now. So any dropped points at any any time would give Liverpool the lead. So they needed to win this game, and they came out. And I actually watched this game. You should you should be proud of me. I, you told me it was on. I was like, yeah, I'm gonna watch that. And Manchester United came out, and they brought out their six eight. Dynamite forward Pogba, the French, the French power forward Paul Pogba. So I've never seen this guy play before. I've never seen this guy in person. Never seen him on TV either. And We're gonna have him on the pod soon. But <laughs> I mean, you made the the Chris Bosh comparison. Um, I'm gonna go more Giancarlo Stanton comparison. Ooh. Um, just from the standpoint of I watched his 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 foot skills and his. Um, agility, and he seemed like a guy that was just best suited for the old 30-yard free kick more than anything, just oh, a yeah. blast at home. Yeah. Um, didn't really see to, seem to be able to control the ball very well, but if you give that guy a lane from, I don't know, the midline, I think he's, he could blast <laughs> it past the goalie. I don't know. That's just my take from watching one, one, one match. Let me give you my take on Pogba from watching like six matches, okay? I think he's he's really frustrating to the managers he plays for because he's so talented and he's so good, but he's kind of like he, he's like your typical stere- like the stereotype of a millennial, I think where he's like really concerned about his Instagram followers and like doesn't want to play defense really, just kind of wants to score 
and is so he kind of like chaps his managers in a not good way. But then he's like with, Odell Beckham. Yeah, he's really similar to Odell Beckham, like similar kind of persona. I think like he's one of the best players in the world, but for whatever reason, he's just kind of prickly, and people tend to not like him. At least his coaches and management. But then he goes to the World Cup with France, and he was like pretty clearly the best player on the team that won the World Cup. So I don't know. I think Pogba's awesome. I think he's fantastic. He's really fun to watch. And to your free kick point, he won a free kick like right outside the box. In, you know, maybe I don't know halfway through the second second half when United was down one nil, and I knew it was going in. Like I knew he was going to bury it and tie the game. And he like duffed it right into the wall, and then yeah, they lost. Right spoiler, the spoiler alert: City won two to one, two two nil. Excuse me, two nil, and right. the title race is probably over, which is unfortunate. Yeah. So yeah, City won. He he did. He blasted it straight into the wall. Ashley Young, good at soccer. I, you I realized think? that today. I you think? think? So. Oh, yeah. I hate watching Ashley Young. I, it just I seems th- like he's always getting burned by somebody. He played good today. He played well today, but. I don't know. I, I don't like Ashley Young. I don't think he's very good. You you had a, hot, a Fred hot take that I was <laughs> not prepared it's, for. It's, Fred was not good. I've, I've watched that guy turn the turn the ball. He he's basically basically the Jack White of Manchester United <laughs> from my point of view. Uh, not you, good. You know what makes it worse is that in the offseason, United paid like seventy million dollars for Fred, and then he showed is up. Fred apparently. his first name is Fred he's, his last name. Is it just one name? Is it like Ichiro? Yeah. So he's Brazilian, and Brazilian soccer players only have one name. Like, that's it. I don't know when they lose their last name, but at some point they pick a name and they go with it. Like so Pele. Exactly. Pele, Ronaldinho, Fred, Neymar. It's just, <laughs> it's just Neymar. There was, a different, there was a different Fred at the last World Cup, and I thought this was that Fred, but it's not. It's a different Fred. There's a Costa, you know. I'm running out of Brazilian players in gotcha. general, but they're all just one Is name. Is Fred a common name in Brazil? I, have, I couldn't tell you. I don't know. I have no idea. Fred. Never been to never been to Brazil. I, like, is I, it like Bobo, where it's Fred? Fred? I don't. Well, if my question is, are the two Freds related? Because uh-huh. then it's like, is Fred a family name? And they just both decided <laughs> to go by Fred. I, you know what? I'm going to look this up and make sure that there is another okay. Fred because I'm not well, actually sure. Okay, while you look this up, I had about three, you know, they're not hot takes, they're actually cold takes, but th- three things I noticed watching this soccer game. Okay. And I and I just and I need to I need to bounce these ideas off somebody. First, I think the thing I love most about soccer is that the players get to decide if they wear jerseys with long sleeves or if they wear jerseys <laughs> with short sleeves. What other sport has two different – why don't you just wear sleeves underneath the jersey? Well, that, you know? you, that's, yeah, Because you can wear long sleeves under your baseball jersey if you want to, but that's right. not what this is. This is a different jersey with long sleeves. Like if you get tired of the long sleeves halfway through, you're out of luck. you got to wear them the rest of the game. Right, like you're in, you're in for the long call if you decide to go with the long sleeves. Like it's April now; it's got to be warm there. Why are they still wearing long sleeves? Like, is it for if when you fall into the ground and roll around so you don't get itchy? I don't know. I mean, it doesn't make sense because you're also wearing shorts. Right. It it makes no sense whatsoever. Why do they make two different jerseys? One with short sleeves and one with long sleeves. When you can just wear long sleeves under the short sleeves. I have no idea. I, I was that was a big conundrum in my mind that <laughs> occupied it for the majority of this game. Uh, I, well, just to follow along that line of thinking, why does the goalie wear a completely different jersey from everyone else? Right? Like, is it like the Libera in volleyball? Libre, is that right? Libera in volleyball? Uh, yeah, I don't know. We're, if you think soccer's out of my depth, let's talk some more volleyball. <laughs> Way out why of is my it? Depth. Why is it a completely different color? Sometimes it's not even the team color. Oh, it's never the team color. It's always some like it's got to be highlighter. I guess it's so you know who the goalie is. But I think that you would know who the goalie is based on the huge gloves he's wearing that no <laughs> okay, one else is, is allowed to wear. This is perfect because this leads into my next observation from this soccer match, which is a lot of times teams pass it back to their goalie. Correct. A lot of times, like they'll, yeah. They'll pass even when play other players want or in the box, they'll <laughs> pass it back to the goalie. Okay, but yet when they do pass it back to the goalie, 
the goalie never picks it up with his hands, which he's allowed to do. He just always <laughs> plays it like a normal soccer player. Like, wouldn't it make more sense at that point to, you know, completely capture the ball with your hands and throw it or kick it or punt it or then you could set it down and <laughs> kick it somewhere why do you play it with your feet i don't understand this one bit okay i actually have a good answer for this so the first answer is because the reason city does this and liverpool too is because both of them have brazilian goalkeepers and brazilian no brazilian kid wants to be a goalkeeper they all want to be pele so you kick it to a Brazilian <laughs> goalkeeper. There was a play in a game, it was before Christmas, way at the beginning of the season, where they kicked it back to Liverpool's keeper in the exact way you're talking about. There's no like there's other guys from the other team in the box, and instead of just punting it a million miles away, their Brazilian goalkeeper tried to like flick it over the guy's head, like you know, like bend it like Beckham, like flip it back over his head and then kick right. it, duffed it, and the guy scored right away. So that's the first <laughs> reason. Because yeah. All goalkeepers do not want to be goalkeepers. The other reason is because if your own team kicks it to the goalie, he's not allowed to pick it up. He's got to play with his feet. You can only the goalie can only pick it up if there's like a direct threat from the other team. So like if you kick it to your own goalie, he can't pick it up unless like if like one of the other players is running him down, then he can pick it up. But you can't just play it with your hands if there's no like immediate danger, I guess, which is another like Makes sense in theory, except sometimes you... It's like in hockey, where like things are against the rules, except for sometimes they're not, you know? Right. Like, sometimes yeah. you can hit a guy into the boards, but sometimes you can't. It's the same thing. Like, goalies can use their hands, except sometimes they can't, and I'm not going to try to explain to you when that sometimes is any more right. than I have done. Well, my, my last observation is on these overhead throw-ins that these guys are doing, right? Like, right. is it... Correct. Is it... Is, why just because you're outside the line can you now use your hands like shouldn't it make more sense if you're going to be a sport solely based with feet that you would do some sort of foot throw in at that point um does it have to be an over (laughs) overhead two-handed throw in so Um, could you chest pass it a foot throw in is just a (laughs) kick that's just a kick (laughs) a foot throw is just that's another word for a kick (laughs) <laughs> right. Would it make more sense to kick it in at that point? I don't know. When it goes out, you got to throw it in. And you do have to throw it over your head. And I think both of your feet have to be planted when you throw it in. But And both of your hands have to be on it, right? Right. You got to throw it with two hands over your head and both of your feet have to be on the ground. Except like if, the, if it goes out like by your corner flag you can just walk it as far the other way as you want to before you throw it in. Like, I don't think you're allowed to do that, but they do it all the time. Like, a guy will go out and pick up the ball where it went out, and instead of throwing it in from right there, he'll, like, fake like he's going to throw it, and they'll take, like, 15 steps towards the goal they're trying to score in and then throw it, which doesn't (laughs) seem like it should be allowed. But, you know, it's not allowed, except sometimes it is. And I don't know. I just know you have to throw it with your hands over your head. I don't know why. Couldn't tell you. I I feel like there's a lot of – There's a lot of times when I watch soccer, like today when I was watching a soccer game, there's a lot of conniving going along, you know, a lot of, a lot of people trying to get away with stuff and they're, they were trying to be real sneaky about it, but it was pretty obvious, but yet they still got away with it. You know, it was like bad acting. Um, And I'm not just talking about injuries. I'm talking about like that stuff too. Like the guy's walking down a thing and it's like, oh, I didn't realize what I was, you know, I don't know. It was just. Like, not meaning to make a mistake, you know, but obviously doing it on purpose. Well, yeah, there was one play at the beginning of the game where Vincent Company, a, one of City's defenders, just, like, took down the Manchester United striker. Just, like, took him down. And they didn't say anything about it because you can't do that until you can. I think part of the reason for that is there's only actually one referee who's covering a field that's bigger than an American football field, which seems, like, inefficient. It feels like you should have more referees out there. And it's just the one guy running around trying to see everything. So maybe that's part of it. But I hear what you're saying. Like, you can get away with a lot of stuff in soccer. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, all right. Anything else with soccer? I'm trying to think. I don't think so. Um, the Champions League semifinal starts next week. So you, sh- you guys should watch it. It comes on Tuesday and Wednesday, I believe. I'm not sure. They come on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. I don't know what day the games are next week. They're on like 2 o'clock in the afternoon, which is tough if you work, but 
record it and watch it when you get home. Nobody's going to tell you what happened in the Champions League if you live in the United States. It's I've never once have I had a game spoiled for me before I got home. So t- come come home, watch it on replay. It's great. It's I mean, good they, fun. One really nice thing that I, I enjoyed about watching it is there's no commercials. You know, I mean, it's you watch it straight through. Yeah, there's stop, you know, stoppage time, time when they're not moving around. But, you know, apart from halftime, there's no commercials, which is great. I, you, you know, I, I really enjoy that. You sit down and it's 45 minutes for the first half and then 15 minutes for halftime and then 45 minutes for the second half. Like until they add on like, you know, a ridiculous 10 minutes at the end for no particular reason. But there's no commercial breaks in the middle. It's straight through. I agree. Yeah, Underrated sport, great. soccer. So you're you're not prepared for this, but I would be remiss if we were having the NFL draft in Nashville and I didn't ask you a little bit about what, what you think may happen tomorrow night. With a with a team that used to be the, the center fold of this um of this podcast and now is you know just been shunned to the sign. What do you think the Titans could possibly do at pick number was it 18 19 do you have any idea i don't I, it's excuse me it's crazy to me that the draft is starting in the city that i live near tomorrow like it just hasn't been on my radar at all it kind of sunk in today because that's like all anyone's talking about now that it's tomorrow and it's in nashville and i haven't been thinking about it at all i'm assuming that the titans are probably Maybe it feels like they're going to take one of those tight ends from Iowa. I guess there's two Ione, I, Iowan, Iowanian I, I, tight ends from I, Iowa Yeah, that are going to go in the first round, which is perfect. Ionian. No, there are two. Right. Yeah, it's got to be a W in there. So, Iowanite. Iowan. 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 There are two Iowan tight ends going in the first round. And it just it's perfect. The Titans are going to end up with one of them. I'm sure. Book it. You heard it here first. Inside information, breaking news, Titans take Iowa tight end at pick 17 or 22 or wherever they're at. All right, cool. Close the book on that. That's all I want to talk about. <laughs> what what, are, what Did, are your thoughts on it? Because I feel like you've been following this closer than me because I haven't been following it at all. Um, I mean, I haven't been following the Titans that closely. It's, it's hard to do down here in Florida. Um, you know, I, and I really right now could could kind of care less. Um, you know, with, with in April, what the Titans are going to do. So, um, I don't know. They'll probably draft like a lineman that I'm not going to be able to get excited about, but that that's sort of my feeling. Yep. Feels on brand. And this Titans discussion is very true to life for me right now. Cause I'm with you. I just haven't, I can't get excited about football and I don't know what the, what the deal is, but I'm, I'll probably watch the draft tomorrow because it's in Nashville and that's cool, but I haven't done any pre-prep or read any mock drafts or anything like that. Yeah, I haven't done much either. So, But if you have, let us know what you think. Call in your predictions. We'd love, obviously, we're going to play it. We'll play them on the show and make fun of you if you're wrong. So um, <laughs> we'd love to do that. Baseball. Anything baseball that you have before we dive into these voicemails? A lot of baseball going on it's always tough for me to decide what baseball to talk about because there's a lot of great stuff happening um first and foremost first and foremost your boy walker bueller just gave up a three-run bomb to tie the game um I know, I'm, I'm as, watching it. as we're speaking a freaking bomb from javier baez um i don't know i mean the braves are good and bad at the same time they have the most frustrating bullpen i've ever seen like last year the braves bullpen was good except for they walked everybody and the bullpen cost them at the end of the season in the playoffs and they just brought the entire thing back. Like the same eight guys who were not good enough last year came back this year, and they're worse last year than they were this year. It's like everybody knew in spring training this is a problem. Hey, we should get some more bullpen guys, and they just didn't, which is really frustrating. But the Braves' offense is good, so that's fun. Um, the Red Sox are terrible. That's a development. <laughs> I think uh, you know Mookie's struggling, but he's going to bounce back. Chris Sale oh, yeah. struggling, but I don't know. Is Chris so? Let me ask you this. Here's an angle I just stumbled into. Chris Sale signs his huge extension and has been pretty bad to start the season. Jacob Degrom signs his huge huge extension and he's down with an elbow strain, which everybody knows what that means, right? I mean, they said the MRI went well, but elbow strain equals Tommy John surgery in my mind. Now I know we're not supposed to say those words out loud. I apologize. We'll strike strike that from the record, but. 
what do you think about those two specific guys? And then Corey Kluber, too. He didn't sign an extension, but he's also kind of been bad. There's some early season pitching struggles, which you don't normally see. Yeah, there's been some guys that are struggling. But, I mean, I think for a small sample size of, you know, especially at the beginning of the season where guys are trying to, you know, find a rhythm, it's always hard. Like, you always feel like you – once you get rolling into the season, like you, you build off of each outing, but like to come in from, from, you know, just game one of a, of a new season has always been hard for me too. just to, like if you have a bad first outing, it seems to snowball on you because you look up and see your ERAs, you know, 18 or whatever, um, you know, a, a really high ERA just cause you've had pitched like five innings or something, you know, three innings or whatever. Um, so I don't know if these guys see their stats and are and are pressing from it, um, you know, just thinking, man, I'm not pitching good. I got to press. Um, but, you know, I, I think they'll figure it out. Like, I, I, I think if you give them another month and they're still stuck like this. Yeah, let's let's start to worry a little bit. Um, but these guys are, are stupid good. They'll be fine. You're going to look back and, you know, August and say, like, what what I can't believe we actually thought that. You know, these guys were, you know, were going downhill. They'll, they'll be fine. I hope you're right, unless Jacob DeGrom has surgery, in which case I will be right. But I don't want to be right <laughs> about that particular one. Is there anything else in baseball you want to get into? Yeah, there's, there's two more things I want to talk about. First is a lot of my buddies have been making their debuts lately, and it's been really fun to watch. Cole Tucker and Brian Reynolds made their debut for the Pirates last week. Um Cole is electric, has an electric personality. Um, so, yeah, they're, those guys hit are great. And also, hit a home run on his first at bat, too, correct? It was his, no, it was, I think it was his third, first. it was his third at bat, but it was a, essentially a walk off homer because it was in the bottom of the fifth and he hit it to go up. To, get, to go up 3-1, and then the rain came, and the game was over. So it was essentially, I think, one more hitter hit after him, but he essentially won the game for him, which was really cool to see. Um, and then tomorrow night, my friend Taylor Hearn, for the, uh, he was with the Pirates, got traded to the Rangers, is making his debut, so appointment viewing. I think they play in Seattle, but he's gross. He plays in Nashville, too, so if he gets, you know, if they option him back down, Go watch him in Nashville. The other thing I want to talk about is this Tim Anderson home run bat flip that happened last week. Did you see this? It wasn't so much a bat flip as he like spiked his bat into the center of he the earth. He axed through it into yeah. the into the ground. So ever since we last talked on this podcast about celebrations, hitter celebrations, and we had what what is now known as the the biggest argument today <laughs> on this podcast. I've really done some soul searching here and I've, and I've, what I was saying, you know, is that I wasn't a big fan of celebration, right? Like that's, that's how it came out. And like, I sat back afterwards and thought like, why is that? Like what, what to me is holding me back from that? Because I love to see people like have fun, you know, like that's not the issue. Um, so, really talking to some people, you know, around, around here and, um, you know, diving into that. I I think that what I have the biggest issue with is when hitters disrespect the pitcher. Um, like I don't, I don't like Tim Anderson. He just, he stood there and I don't, I couldn't tell if he was looking at the catcher or said anything to the pitcher. Like it's one of those things if he just celebrates and does a backflip and, you know, just is pumped for himself and just celebrating himself, like, you know what? I'm good with that, honestly. Like, I'm I'm 100% good with that. But if he's going to, like, hit a home run and turn and, like, pretty much di- disrespect the pitcher, like, that's where I have an issue with it. Does that make any sense? I hear you. Yeah, and I understand that. Did you hear what Tim Anderson said about it? He said – something to the effect of he was really excited that he hit the home run he was I think he was turning to like in his mind to celebrate like with the dugout which he was in the first base dugout or the third base dugout and that's tough to do when you're going to first base so he like turned his back on the pitcher kind of and he said he was like trying to pump up his teammates or whatever and then he wanted the reason he threw the bat is because he wanted to get it closer to the bat boy 
so he didn't have to walk <laughs> as far, <laughs> which yeah, is hilarious. That's not true. It's hilarious and not true. Uh, but yeah, I hear what you're saying, and I think that the two instances that we've talked about, the Tim Anderson and Derek Dietrich, are both like way far beyond what you usually see from from a hitter after a home run. And I think both of those are probably a little over the line, you know. Now I'm not. Oh wow, Jason Hayward just hit a home run. Jason Hayward still hitting baseballs in 2019. Good for you. Um, I'm still not going to begrudge a guy celebrating a home run, but at the same time, just as a human being, I don't think it's really necessary to put down your opponent after you just beat him. Like you beat him and celebrate yourself, but don't yeah, you know, like you don't got to step on a guy when he's down. I guess like you don't have to put your head down and walk around the bases like you had to in 1985, but you know. I, I don't know. I'm not not elo- eloquently saying my thoughts, but I hear what you're saying, and I, to a ex- certain extent, agree with you. Yeah. All right. Well, good. I, I, I mean, have all the fun you want. You know, it's, it does make watching baseball more enjoyable. Um, but, yeah, just disrespect, I guess. Okay. Um, let's get into these voicemails. How about it? Let's do it. All right. So... Um, we got voicemails from four different people. Uh, the first one came from our good friend Brennan Pearson. The first sent, four came from Brennan. First, it was they were they were lengthy voicemails, so we're going to do our best to, uh, I guess, um, sort of chop these up and 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 talk about it a little bit and not play nine straight minutes. No, Brennan's um, full nine minute in. monologue is not going to make it. I'm sorry, buddy. <laughs> Thank you so much for calling, but we're going to pick and choose some highlights. I think. Yeah. Okay, but we'll start it off here with the beginning of his message. Here is Brennan Pearson. Sam Austin, how's it going? This is Brennan Pearson calling. Um, I wanted to give a couple of takes in regards to the home run and strikeout. Uh, I guess discussion y'all are having and uh, kind of get my input on it and the ways I think the game of baseball can help solve this issue because I think a lot has to do with with the pitchers not necessarily with the hitters um, striking out more because you get paid more to hit home runs you don't get paid to hit 300 uh, I think a big thing that goes into it is is these these hitters nowadays realize that most pitchers, especially off, bouncing off your topic, Austin, with with relief pitchers, they their stuff's too good, and so the best way to get that relief pitcher out of the game is to to work their pitch count up. And I think most hitters, you know, three out of ten gets you to the Hall of Fame. But against these relief guys, you get three hits out of ten, and you're doing something right. Because the guy doing 100 miles an hour with a, a 91 mile an hour slider, and so I think their mindset is, how fast can I get this guy out of here? And when I do swing, I'm gonna swing as hard as I can and hope I make contact. Because I mean, you can't place, you can't place hit and, and punch a ball through the four hole on purpose when a guy throws 100. And so I think that's a, a mindset that the hitters have to beat these pitchers is to see how many pitches they can throw per at bat. And, you know, you see these, these, these three-hole, four-hole, five-hole, six-hole hitters, I mean, they're, it's like they're taking until they get three strikes a lot of time against against these guys in the sixth inning and on. And, you know, and they might see that perfect pitch in the early count. And they're going to swing as hard as they can. They miss it, so what? You know, because their goal is not to make contact, a, you know, at a decent pitch. They want to make contact at the perfect pitch. Um, and so I think that's a, a big thing that sometimes does get overlooked is it's not necessarily the hitters knowing that that's what gets them paid, even though it is. I think a lot has to do with with playing the game to, you know, a strategy that works in, in their strength in those late innings. So they want to get deep in that bullpen, not face their, you know, the best pitcher for, for two innings. If they get one, two, three, and one, two, three each inning. Um, and I think a solution to that that can reduce some home runs, it won't make a drastic improvement, but it can somewhat put a a governor on some of these pitchers is, you know, doing the opposite of what they did in college baseball and raising 
the scenes of the baseball to create more resistance with all right did you did you get that yeah coming through loud and yeah. clear make some good points okay there. yeah yeah for sure so yeah the gist of what he's saying i thought is it's not so much with the strikeout issue isn't so much the hitter as it is the pitcher um which i'd love to hear that absolutely it's the pitcher <laughs> that's that's punching everybody out but he's saying that you know it's Hitting against these relief pitchers, throwing 100 miles an hour with wipeout sliders, it's very – it's not easy. Not easy <laughs> at is, all. I don't know if I agree with this take about running up the pitch count because I don't know how much you can do that with guys out of the pen. Like it – I mean, the guy's coming in one inning, and if it takes him 30 pitches – it takes Felipe Vasquez 30 pitches to close the game out, he's going to throw 30 pitches, right? Like I think – that's more so in the earlier parts of the game, trying to get the starter out, trying to get deep into the bullpen, right? But, um, I mean, I, I think with the relief pitchers, when those guys come in, you just got to guess. You know, I mean, if you've got somebody – if you got, you know, Vasquez throwing 100 miles an hour with a wipeout slider, you basically have to guess pitch and guess location because it's going to be stupid hard to recognize and hit. Um you can't. Oh, you can't. Like, so at the level of baseball I play, played, you know, in high school and college, you sit fastball, and then the pitchers are not. You know, the pitchers are good, but they're not so good that you can't recognize an off-speed pitch. So you recognize off-speed and you adjust. You can't do that if it's Jose Alvarado throwing a ninety-nine mile an hour bowling ball up there. If you're not ready for that, you're not going to hit it. So you sit on the ninety-nine mile an hour bowling ball. And even if he, even if you guess right, and that's what he throws, you're still probably not going to hit it. But then he comes in with the curveball on top of it, and you got no chance. So that's part of it. Is the pitchers are ridiculous, specifically relief pitchers are unbelievable. And part of the reason they're so good is because, like you said, they're going to come in and they're going to give you everything they've got on every single pitch for you know 10, 15, 20, 30 pitches, whatever it is. Then they're going to come out, and you got another guy coming in who's doing the same thing. And there's like no, there's no end to it. You know, there's no, you almost don't want to get the starters out because with most teams you get in the bullpen and they got five or six guys who are throwing 95 or hundred miles an hour. And you'd rather have a starter in there, which goes against all baseball conventional wisdom that you've heard since you were five years old, you know? And I think that's the first part about strikeouts going up is because pitchers are ridiculously good. The other part is that hitters don't really care so much about striking out, and not in every situation. Like, there's still situations where you need to hit behind the runner, you need to make contact. But in general, if you come up with two outs and nobody on, like, you're going to try to hit a home run because it doesn't really matter if you hit a single or a double. You still got two outs. Like, the chances of you stringing together three or four hits off of some of these relievers are not good. So you might as well swing from your heels and try to get one run with one swing because that's the fastest way you're going to score off of these guys. Right. Yeah, I mean, the relievers are going to throw any pitch in any count. You know, they're going to throw everything at you because they're just they're throwing one inning. So what do you think about, you know, what he was talking about at the end where a possible solution would be to raise the seams on the baseball? Well, that's another, another part of the re- – well, the reason – we talked about why strikeouts are going up. The other thing that's going up are home runs, and part of that is because hitters are actively trying to hit more home runs. And another part is that the baseball is different, and we're not going to get into the science of it because it's the informal podcast, but there's studies that have been done over the last couple of years that the baseball itself is smaller. The seams are smaller, not larger. They're smaller. So the wind resistance on the ball is less. Fly balls are going farther. You add that to the fact that hitters are actively trying to hit more fly balls, more fly balls, fly balls going farther, more home runs. So I think that baseball might raise the seams. I've also heard an uh, idea of maybe raising the mound or moving moving the mound back and then maybe raising it. There's a ton of different things That'd they be can terrible. do. What are so, the, what tell, I mean, make the case. What why, what would raising the seams do for this? Because it seems to me like that would make pitches just more nasty. Listen, just more simply the minor league baseball is different from the major league baseball. Okay. The major league baseball is used in triple a, but double a through rookie league, it's a different baseball and it's a little bit softer and the seams are more raised on the minor league baseball. So that's the one I've been thrown with, you know, so for me, I honestly, my pitches move more with the major league baseball, um, especially fastballs. It when, when you, 
you know, throw a fastball true, a true two seam or, or a one seam or a sinker, um, the, the, I don't know, the air just seems to catch it more and it moves a ton. It moves, your, your ball moves more. And when you throw a slider or a curveball, it's going to move more too. Uh, the problem is you just have to be real true with your spin because the, the seams are so low. If you don't spin it right, it's just going to float. Um, and that happens a lot more, but I will say, if a guy hits a ball 330 feet with a minor league baseball, that ball would go 350 with a major league baseball. And that's that's honesty right there. That's it goes science. at least 20, 20 to 20 oh, yeah. feet farther. 20 they, to 25 feet further. They studied the baseball. They put the baseball in the cannon that they used to, fu- to fire chickens at airplane windshields, and they measured how far it went, and they went farther. That's yeah. a study that was done that I've experienced. So another thing that Brennan talked about here in his next message is the debate on the Yeti, which was a classic debate. If you haven't listened to that, stop listening to this and go back and listen to that. But now, because you need, says, you need that background before this next part. Right. On this next part, he says that he does not believe in the Yeti. But I'll just I'll let you hear from him. Brennan? <laughs> Again, on uh, the Yeti. So, again, like I said, I don't believe the Yeti is real. Um, reasons why. So, the fact that we have people that can't discover an insect on land, but have yet to definitively discover a massive walking creature <laughs> in an area that they believe it exists, it, it can't be true. Great point. I believe that something like mermaids or the megalodon is more believable simply due to the fact that the ocean is so unexplored as compared to land. So <laughs> belief does not constitute truth. <laughs> belief is what waters down and dilutes the truth. Truth is defined based off of facts. Um, just because someone might believe OJ is guilty doesn't mean that OJ is guilty. That's their belief. The truth is he's not guilty according to the court law. But we believe that he's guilty. And belief is what hides the truth. Truth is what brings down belief. So just because you believe something's true doesn't mean it's necessarily true. Truth is what dilutes that belief in whatever the Yeti or any other mythological creature that's not been discovered yet. I'm not saying the mermaid's real. I'm not saying the megalodon's real. But I'm saying the chances of those two being real versus the Yeti are higher than the Yeti due to the fact that the ocean is so unexplored as compared to land. We have been to the highest peak in the world numerous times. But we have yet to even come close to reaching the deepest part of the ocean so much that even if we did decide to go down there, all of that area of that deepest part is still unexplored. There's no telling what is down there. Um, so that's my two cents on <laughs> the Eddie and how belief does not mean truth and how belief only dilutes the truth wow there's a there's a lot to unpack in that right there oh my god i don't think so i think he just sealed it i think that's it i think that's that's the whole case right there i was not expecting the oj comparison but (laughs) (laughs) hold on let me go back and and read this right here (laughs) truth is but Truth is a belief based off of facts. Just because someone might believe OJ is guilty doesn't mean that OJ is guilty. That's their beliefs. The truth is he's not guilty according to the court of law, but we believe that he's guilty. So is this, OJ guilty? Is, is this, that where we're going? Is that where is we're going? It, <laughs> uh, are mermaids, are, do mermaids exist? Does the megalodon exist? 
Okay, so I agree with Brennan on this point. I don't know if mermaids exist. I think they probably don't. But not like not long ago, like within the past century, we found narwhals, and people thought those were mythological creatures too. And then they found them because they're under the water and under the ice, and you don't know what's what's there. So I think that Brennan has made fantastic points. They were swimming in the ocean, causing commotion. They were not causing any commotion because no one knew they were there until now. Brennan has made fantastic points. He's corroborated everything I said. Um, which also makes him a very intelligent human being and a valued listener. Thank you very much to Brennan Pearson. That was maybe the best best two minutes of podcast we've ever had. That was great. Truth is what brings down beliefs. That that <laughs> that that was his, that's his the highlighted tag, that's line the, there. That's the tagline. That's the headliner right there. All right, we're gonna go uh, to our other friend Andrew Mullendore, who also had some thoughts on baseball. That kind of are connected to soccer. So, Andrew. Hey, Informal Pod. It's your good friend, Andrew Mullendorf here. I was calling to see if I could get you guys to discuss the possibility of moving the MLB season and the title champion away from the tournament style we have and transferring it to what the English Premier League does and having the season decided point style. So the champion is decided by who accumulates the most points. I think that is a more fair and equitable way to decide the champion. Uh, and I just wanted to get you guys' thoughts on it. Wow. So moving the Major League Baseball value system from wins and losses in a playoff format to a point system, such as the English Premier League. What are your thoughts on that? So our good friend Andrew Mullendore suggested this as an outcome to our fantasy baseball league i don't know like six years ago and i thought he was crazy okay that was ridiculous playoffs is what makes everything fun okay i'm coming around to it i'm coming around to his line of thinking mostly because i'm watching more soccer i don't think that you can get rid of the playoffs i would not want to get rid of the playoffs playoff baseball is the best it's amazing what i do kind of like is the point system of deciding who makes the playoffs so right now it's pure wins and losses there's a winner and a loser in every baseball game all year. Even if you got to go 20 innings to figure out the winner, you do it. What I would like to see is doing away with extra innings or modifying extra innings so you can only go, say, 10 or 11 innings. And if at the end of that allotted time the game is still tied, then it just goes as a tie. And instead of doing wins and losses, you do like the Premier League does. You get three points for a win, one point for a tie, zero points for a loss. Hockey does something very similar. I think they do two points for a win, one point for a tie. You can do that all the way throughout the entire season to the end of the season, who has the most points. Those are the teams that make the playoffs. You still get the playoffs. You don't have any 18-inning, extra-inning games. It's a win-win. I think with the help of Andrew Molendor, we have made baseball better. Yeah, I, I agree wholeheartedly with what you're saying. I Playoff baseball is the best. You can't take that away. That's you know the, the best part of the season. But extra-inning games – are really tough on teams. You play 17 innings. You got no bullpen left. You've got, you know, essentially you're playing one of 160 games that you're, you know, putting a lot of marbles in for. Personally, I wouldn't. I would rather not be at the field for eight hours. You know, playing a game. I think you know, doing just playing nine innings and having a point-based structure would be. Like that, that would be fine. I would, I would actually enjoy that a lot more. So yeah, I agree with both of you guys. Unfortunately, I, think, I, re- I wanted to argue <laughs> with you about it, but uh, I think people, if you did this, people would freak out about there being ties because in America we don't like ties, which I understand. Like I don't like ties either, but the, I mean, nobody likes eighteen inning games. Like you think you do, and you think like, oh, it's this baseball novelty that this game lasted for seven hours, and like that's so cool. But if you actually watch an eighteen inning game. You don't because everyone falls asleep in the 12th inning because now you're pitching like you're running your worst pitcher out there who's just got to eat as many innings as he can, and this poor guy's arm's about to fall off. Or you put in your third-string catcher, and he's got to eat in. It's just not a good situation. So, yeah, get over yourself, American baseball fans. Ties aren't that bad. It'll be great. Going into effect next year. (laughs) Yeah. So um, our next voicemail comes from a female listener. Um. Yeah, I don't know if you know her, Sam, but well, I think we, she's got a great question. She, she might be the only one. 
Hi, uh, this is Samantha Lewis, long-time listener, first-time caller. I know back uh, a couple months ago, y'all had a debate about who would win in a bear, uh, who would win in a fight against the bear, you or Austin. Uh, that would be you, Sam. Yeah. Uh, talking directly is, to me. Who do you think would win <laughs> in a fight against the Yeti? I'll hang up and let y'all talk about it. Wow. That, I think that's a great question. So... We did have this discussion, which I clear, clearly won. That was the first, first great informal debate was who would win against <laughs> was, the bear. Which has since been surpassed. But, <laughs> yes, if we, got in, if we ran into the Yeti, who would win in a fight against him, me or you? I'll let you go ahead and have the floor first because I'm, I'm really confident in this. So I think this goes to show you that – the last time my wife listened to the podcast was like a year and a half ago when we had the bear discussion. <laughs> <laughs> Hasn't listened to one since since like the second one we put out. Uh, second of all, we just had our caller prove without a shadow of a doubt that the Yeti doesn't exist. So why are we having this fictional conversation? There's no there's no scenario where we have to fight a Yeti because if we if we theoretically saw a Yeti in real life in my head, I would believe based on facts that are provable that that is not an actual Yeti. That is just someone over there in a Yeti costume <laughs> and I would Scooby do him and pull his mask off. And that's how I would win my fight versus the Yeti, which doesn't exist. See, this is exactly what I was hoping that you would say, because <laughs> when we do encounter a Yeti, you are not going to believe it. And if you do believe it, you're going to be so shocked that you're going to be stunned and you. you're not going to be able to, yeah, you're going to be shook and you're not going to be able to fight him. So me, I'm, I'm going to go up to him and say like, hey man, I always knew you existed, but this guy didn't believe. And so I, I think you should probably, uh, you know, you know, fight him instead. So, so you're, I don't know. your fictional Yeti not only exists, but also <laughs> but speaks, in, speaks English <laughs> and reasons. You go up to the I'm, Yeti and you No, do he doesn't speak English. You, I believe he speaks all tongues. So so you're talking to him in Hindi? Is that what you <laughs> So you are gonna go and make your diplomatic approach to the Yeti and he is gonna rip your head off. And I will be standing over in the parking lot laughing at you. Not that you got your head ripped off, but that your your diplomacy did not work no matter what language you were speaking. I highly doubt that the Yeti would be anywhere near a parking lot. No, well, I've assumed that he's right next to the Yeti viewing center that's in Russia that you referenced <laughs> on our last episode. And I figure Putin probably paved a parking lot so everybody could go see the Yeti, except no one has ever seen the Yeti on the Yeti expedition because he doesn't exist. All right, just because I'm, I'm mad at your take on this, <laughs> we gotta go to these. We gotta go to these next voicemails. Well, we don't have to if you don't want to, but okay. So. So I'll, I'll sort of paint this picture for you, right? Tennessee plays Purdue. Oh, okay? yeah, this was like six months ago at this point, but yeah. That's right, open but, this but old it's wound. Well, it's, well, it's well worth it, right? <laughs> so Sam decides he's going to call in at different points in the game and, and relay his emotions. So as you know, Tennessee went down in flames, but this is during halftime when he still felt okay. So here we go. Here's voicemail number one. Baskets a little bit smaller. <laughs> which on was that side. the Tennessee's basket was smaller than Purdue's basket, 
Uh, also, not true. It, no, it wasn't. Did they true. switch baskets during they halftime? Switched, they switched baskets and Purdue still did not miss a three the entire game, and Tennessee did not make a free throw. Turns out that can that can last for a full game. Um, well, just listen it, to that back it now. It you you were trying to be positive, but you were pretty hopeless there. Well, yeah, we were down twelve, and I think at one point we were down by like twenty. So we had we were on the come up to get back to twelve at that point. I haven't thought about this game in three weeks. Why are you making me do this? This is okay. Not all right, it, we'll, we'll go to the under four timeout <laughs> yeah. here in the second half. Great. So we're at the under four timeout. Sam Lewis, Gander, formal podcast does. We're at the under four timeout. Tennessee's come all the way back to take a two point lead after going down eighteen early in the second half. I'm literally shaking. I know that this is gonna absolutely break my heart when Tennessee gets this game away. I just want to say shout out to Lamar Turner for playing fantastic defense. Shout out to Purdue for finally missing some threes. Let's go, ball. Give me four more minutes for the Elite Eight. Let's go. Oh no. How tough is that to listen back right there? You at that point, Nailed you actually it. thought they were going to win the game. I, okay, so my relationship with Tennessee athletics, as I've mentioned here before and will mention again, is you just wait for the next knife in the heart. Um, and at this point, I was fighting so hard not to believe that we'd made that comeback. And I knew exactly what was going to happen based on this voicemail when I told you what was going to yeah. happen. Um, yeah, but you, you had hope in your voice. It was it was more like nervous excitement, like yeah, like, yeah, true. I was like, "There's a chance that we're going to the Elite Eight, but there's also a chance that this is like at that point you're either going to win and go to the Elite Eight, or it's going to be the most heartbreaking loss you've ever had." And as a Tennessee fan, I knew which way that was going to go, but I was trying to to lie to myself and tell myself that we could have nice things. But let's play the next voicemail, I suppose. an all-time heartbreaker all-time huge shout out to the Vols for coming back forcing overtime taking a lead late in the game very questionable foul call Lamonte Turner on the last possession for Purdue basically gifted them overtime this is not time to make excuses this is time to recognize the greatest Tennessee basketball team of my life Admiral Schofield played his heart out Lamonte Turner huge game you know, you get to the end, Purdue made about a thousand threes. Tennessee missed about a thousand free throws. And you let it be close enough to have a bad call cost you the game. I mean, at the end of the day, Purdue outplayed us, they outcoached us. A really tough way to go out for one of the greatest players in Tennessee history, Admiral Schofield. If this is the last game for Grant Williams, one of the greatest players in Tennessee history on his account as well. I hate it. Hopefully at some point I'll be able to talk a little more eloquently about it, but it is what it is. Peace. All right, here's your chance to talk a little more eloquently about it. I don't want to, though. I mean, we talked about this game on a podcast, didn't we? Is that the one that didn't get posted? That one got posted, didn't it? I don't remember. I don't remember either. It was That was awful. I wanted to call in before, during, and after that game just to give the people a insight into how my brain works during these sporting events and maybe part of the reason why I'm kind of checking out on some sports that I'm really not that invested in like this is how I've I've felt during Titans playoff games the last two years and I think to myself I don't need that in my life I don't even like the Titans that much like I'm just going to check out on the Titans a little bit and you know it hasn't worked yet for the Vols it hasn't worked yet for the Braves but it's it's an emotional roller coaster that is like it's like a roller coaster that goes down and then just keeps going farther down and like even farther down and then like it'll come up for a second but then it goes right back down and it's like so sharp it like turns your stomach and makes you want to vomit and that's every every Tennessee athletic game that I watch so there you go that was sad man I'd forgot how sad I was that was sad that last one Whew. tough that that was tough <laughs> but at the end of the day that was. That was a really great Tennessee team. It, it was. really was. And so disappointing and that that's how it ended. I mean, like, to be honest, it sucks they didn't make it to the Elite Eight, but at some point they were going to lose, probably with how hard they play in dramatic fashion. And, you know, I, I don't see them – I didn't see them winning it, so at some point it was going to happen. So you just got to take back and take a step back and – 
look at how great the team was. And it was it was a really fun year to watch as a sort of an outsider for me looking in and, you know, really diving in on that team. It was it was cool. Yep. The great um the great Tennessee fan and radio host John Reed said about I mean it was midway through the SEC season. It's probably like mid January or February. He said I don't want to be like the guy that says this, but, and this is peak, like Tennessee's number one in the country. Like Tennessee's one of the best teams out there having a great season. John Reed said, I don't want to like be the one to say this, but just so everyone knows at some point, Tennessee is going to have an awful heartbreaking loss and it's going to crush everybody and make us feel awful. So just prepare yourself. And I heard him say that and I knew in my head he was right. And I still wasn't ready for it when it happened. Like there's only, there was only one way that that season could have ended that I would have been content with, and that would have been a Final Four, and it just wasn't in the cards. The only solace I take is that the same exact thing, maybe something even worse happened to Purdue in the next round. So, you know, there you go. You get what you give. Yeah. Well, I think if, if this shows us anything, it's that if people do call into the informal hotline, we will play their messages on the show unless you leave three or four three-minute <laughs> messages, then we will pick and choose. But we will play if you want to call it, in... Yeah, it might be two weeks later, but we'll play it. Right, right. So the number is 615-669-2623. Call in, leave us a voicemail, we'll discuss it. Um, yeah, it'll be awesome. So you have anything else? I think that's it. For not having anything at all to talk about, we still managed to go over an hour. So, you know, true to form. Anymore. True to form. Yeah. Call in, call in and, and leave a voicemail or, or hit us up on Twitter. 